Welcome back to day four of uh, FreightWaves Global Supply Chain Week. I'm your host, Thomas Wasson, enterprise trucking carrier expert here at FreightWaves. And with me today, I have uh, Mr. Sandeep Carr, Chief Strategy Officer at Norgon Systems, a provider of commercial vehicle diagnostic, repair, and data analytics software. Uh, Mr. Carr is widely considered the expert in heavy-duty trucking and OEM technology. Uh, Sandy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thomas. Pleasure being here. To, to start things off right now, it, we're in a time of disruption with uh, COVID and supply chains all across the board. Um, what are your thoughts and how has this impacted the OEM market? Yeah, I mean, so if you've been reading and following the headlines, uh, whether it's mainstream media and, and much more in the industry media, this is no surprise that we are in the middle of this storm. And the question now is, when will you get out of it, of, of this mess? And um, so I think that, you know, the worst days are behind us, but that doesn't mean that we'll bounce back to uh, where the market was, let's say, in 2019. Uh, there are some severe flaws and, and fractures that have been revealed thanks to this crisis. And these are mostly related to uh, the lack of sem semiconductors. Uh, now, that impacts the passenger and, and commercial vehicle markets a little bit differently. Uh, the passenger vehicle market relies more on semiconductors because you have these uh, comfort and convenience and other um, creature comfort and infotainment, uh, you know, systems in these vehicles that rely more on these semiconductors. However, in the commercial vehicle side, that side that's not the case. So the commercial vehicle market has been a little bit more resilient, relatively. Uh, and having said that, there's yet another thing to consider, and that is that the commercial vehicle market typically, you know, is a very cyclical market. So the OEMs are very tuned and 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 uh, familiar with dealing with uh, crisis of this shape. Uh, I won't say this form uh, better than the, the passenger vehicle OEMs who are really exposed. And uh, so I do believe that the commercial vehicle market will do relatively better. Um, and the jury is out whether things will get back to normal in 2023. I've, I've been reading some analysis lately that, that's saying it may actually drag on to 2025 even. Uh, so, yeah, we are the crisis on, is on and um, OEMs who know how to navigate through this based on past experience or through, through, through exporter cyclicality or through better uh, supply chain uh, management or through nearshoring those OEMs will do better. I'll give you an example here. Toyota has actually fared pretty well in this crisis. And the reason behind that is thanks to, uh, you know, their experiences in, in the last four or five years dealing with tsunami and, and, and fire and Fukushima and all those other, uh, other events, they have really planned uh, to handle disruptions of this, this, this size and shape better than many other OEMs. So, you know, they, they, they always have contingencies um, planned and that's why they have weathered the storm a bit better than others. I, I like what you're saying about resiliency. And I think that's an awesome point about Toyota and how they've weathered the storm. Uh, you're going to see right now those who are prepared and who's not. Uh, it kind of brings me to like just in time. Wasn't Toyota one of the ones that pioneered just in time? A lot of people tried to emulate it. And now we still see Toyota doing well, even with their current just-in-time system, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you when you pioneer a business model that everybody else wants to follow. I mean, there was a time when Toyota was inviting the competitors even to come into their factories and study their uh, manufacturing processes. That's how confident they were, they were and they are. Uh, but then that comes through experience. That comes through dealing with, uh, you know, these kinds of shocks in the system in a, on a more frequent basis. It prepares you, it builds that resiliency in your DNA. 
And so that's why they're doing it. Like I said, even the commercial vehicle OEMs are very good at that as well because of the, the inherent cyclicality in the, of the commercial vehicle markets. They are typically in tune with economic cycles. And so they have seen this show before, from, albeit from a different perspective, not a, not a semiconductor uh, shortage crisis, but they know how to do deal with it. So you would predict that while the, the, the personal vehicle automotives compared to the commercial, the commercial guys are able to weather the storm because they've seen it in the downturn. They've seen it in the, the, the cycle where orders can decrease by tens or hundreds of thousands. But for a lot of these uh, personal vehicle manufacturers and other OEMs, they're exposed because they're they're not used to this kind of thing. Demand has been a lot more predictable, right? They were operating under the premise that there's infinite supply of semiconductors. And then obviously you talk about case-connected autonomous shared electric, all these innovations that OEMs are doing, they all rest on, 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 on these semiconductors. And the assumption or maybe the the false sense of security that was baked in the system was that, you know, you have infinite supplies. And then once we saw when, when COVID hit the auto market or the global market for that matter, uh, the same semiconductors uh, became in great demand from the personal uh, computer electronics industries and, and automakers, uh, you know, they, they shut down production fairly quickly. Now to bring that production back to uh, original levels requires months and by the time they were at that level, the, 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 the fundamental uh, requirement for these electronics, which is semiconductors, um, basically exploded and, 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 and the supply was not there because that supply was routed to somewhere else where there was much faster turnaround than in the auto industry. And that's one thing I know that a lot of people forget is these, these guys who are making the vehicles have to rely on somebody else to provide you with the chips. And if you yes, make these changes in production, the chips aren't waiting for you. They're just going to go to the next person down the line. And yeah, exactly. so you exactly. think that those Whoever, shut down. Absolutely. So, you know, when you have a, a, a manufacturing throughput of, a, if you compare it off a, off a, off a, off a laptop versus a, a, an, an automobile, the throughput is much faster. So the requirement when, the, when, when, when auto production kind of stalled briefly during March, April of 2020, the production of laptops actually zoomed because people started working from home and then infotainment content became more important. Uh, and so that, that finite quantity of chips started getting routed there. And by the time the automakers bounced back, it was not available for them to. And I think that's, especially when it comes to chips, semiconductors, uh, I know that the new vehicles that we're going to with uh, electric vehicles and other types that we're, we're testing right now, um, how do you think these guys are going to be impacted in terms of this chip shortage as well? We know that the OEMs are resilient with their current models, but the newer ones with the extra telematics and data integration, is this going to pose a problem for production coming into the next few years? It will. And to add on top of that, you talked about EV. I will also add autonomous vehicles, AVs on top of that, because these vehicles require, uh, you know, very high degree of sensing capabilities that requires a very high degree of computational power that requires uh, a large amount of these, these semiconductors. Uh, EVs have these electrical components that require coordination, whether it's a motor generator, battery, control electronics, power electronics. These rely on these semiconductors. At the same time, uh, System suppliers, suppliers of of components, modules, and systems to 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 OEMs, they are sensorizing their equipment so they can collect data to to deliver uh, diagnostics and prognostic solutions as well. They, they require these chips, so the demand for chips is is really exploding. Uh, yes, definitely so in the EVs and AVs, but also as much in IC vehicles, uh, which is in internal combustion engine driven vehicles. So overall, there's a huge explosion of growth. Uh, in demand for these these chips and the supply is just finite and it's it's vulnerable uh, 
I think that it's the time has come now for the industry to start really thinking about nearshoring. Uh, and there are certain technologies such as 3D printing and, 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 and such, which are benefiting from this, this, this crisis, which is basically putting them in a trajectory of higher growth, I believe. I like what you're saying. It kind of brings me into two big topics I was thinking about, you know, not only with the nearshoring, but the data collection. First, regarding the nearshoring, I know that Ford and a few other OEMs are partnering with chip makers to try and circumvent this. And then you have like Tesla trying to operate a battery factory. Uh, do you believe that the, the nearshoring is going to continue to accelerate or how long would it take for that to even come online? Well, like you mentioned, a few OEMs that are do, that, that are vertically integrating some of this semiconductor manufacturing capabilities, just because they want to control the, the, the computational power, the design of the semiconductors. Tesla being one of them. Uh, but then there, you've, you've got other OEMs that are very good at bending metal, but not so good in electronics. Like the conventional, they try three OEMs. For them, the solution is to yes, nearshore or to lock in. Uh, you know, some of these supply chains uh, in, a, in a way that they have more influence. In the past, what they had done is they had outsourced uh, this responsibility to tier one suppliers. And so the tier one suppliers, when they fail, automatically the automakers, uh, you know, they, they got impacted by it. So th now they're trying to circumvent this and saying, okay, we're going to talk directly to these chip manufacturers. We, we, will, we will source it directly from them so that we, shouldn't, so that we do better if should, should the crisis of this magnitude again uh, hit the market. They don't want to get. They don't want to get caught. And I think, like you said as well, with the increase in these sensors, that kind of brings us to the next topic. Uh, we're collecting huge amounts of data. OEMs are getting involved in the data game, as well as even carriers, brokers, and other parts of the supply chain. Um, what What are your view? How What are your views on the the market right now? How is big data? Uh, you know, in twenty twenty two. What are your thoughts? That's an excellent question. So big data has has really started delivering on the promise. The, you know, and I'll tell you how the change is happening so that if you take a step back and look at it from a more of a comprehensive look at, at what's going on, it will start to make sense. The, the data itself is, is great, but it's, it doesn't drive resonance among the users. It's really the analytics that drives resonance. Now, the analytics in the past used to be descriptive in nature. So something has happened, the data would tell you what has happened. Telematics was great at that. You know, where is my vehicle? It's there. Uh, why did the vehicle fail? Oh, because the tire pressure was suboptimal. So it, the, it, the, the information, the insights, the analytics was delivered after the fact. Now we are moving to a realm of predictive analytics where we can now predict certain outcomes even before that uh, those outcomes happen. It's called prognostics, for example. But that's not the future. The future is prescriptive analytics where using this big data and, and adding uh, you know, machine learning, AI capabilities on top of that. And, and really analyzing it profoundly, you can now start to prescribe certain outcomes, especially important for fleets. So for example, as you know, which, which RPM the engine should operate in the month of September when you're driving through Arizona so that you get the highest uh, fuel efficiency, the lowest TCO. Those are the kinds of real value proposition uh, that the market would benefit from. And, and so, the, the, so, so the evolution of big data is, is kind of taking us in, in that direction. I like what you're saying about predictive. I know when I ran fleets and stuff, a uh, driver told me about altitude chains on tires. Like they're going from Las Vegas to Colorado, 45,000 pounds, and they blew a few tires. I thought, how does this happen? Oh, well, I went up 10,000 feet. So what you're saying almost is nowadays, instead of saying this is why it's messed up, now we're getting to the point where our technology is going to tell us, by the way, you're going up a few thousand feet, adjust PSI this much because this is how much it's impacted other people. 
Exactly. And that change in PSI is not only important for, for safety of that truck and the people around that truck or vehicles around the truck, but also for fuel efficiency of, the, of that vehicle and, health, and, and hence the, the fleet as well. Uh, so that's, that's the benefit. Um, so yeah, we are, we are seeing a lot of that. I think it's very exciting, especially um, I know that also uh, we're also looking into more analytics on geofencing. Um, and I know that uh, Noragon Systems had recently rolled out a geofence tool. How important is really geofencing? I know from my end, to preface this, uh, is that you would draw your geofence, you'd show up, you'd leave, and that was it, in and out. But what are your thoughts? Where can we take all this data and how are some ways we can actually use it to be useful? Yeah, so first of all, geofencing is is an exciting feature, but it's it's not nothing new. I mean, it's been there for many years. What we have done in Oregon is we have added this feature on top of our uh, you know, diagnostic, remote diagnostic solution just to kind of drive us an, an additional uh, layer of visibility into that asset that is, that is getting maintained or serviced. Um, so that geofencing information starts triggering certain decision points. Uh, now, that is important in a just-in-time, uh, you know, logistics environment where the mission and the goal is to get that vehicle uh out of the service and maintenance location, reduce dwell time as much as possible. And so that, uh, you know, the, the economies and, and the societies where these vehicles operate and the communities, they benefit from the vehicle. So that's where we are going. Now, how can that be is when you, when you add geo, geofencing, when you add predictive maintenance, you, you mesh these together, add location data on top of that, and then analyze that data over, over a period of time so that you can start prescribing certain outcomes. That is where the real value proposition lies, and that's where we're working towards. So it's almost like not only have you been there for two or three hours, but you're driving along this patch of road. Here's the outside temperature and conditions. Uh, you may need to watch out for a few different things and you can incorporate that before they even drive. That is exactly the the, the prescription. But the mission is to reduce downtime. You know, Thomas, uh, downtime is the biggest enemy of any fleet manager. If you can help reduce downtime and if you can help reduce the propensity of the vehicle to fail, or if you can help reduce unscheduled maintenance, you're actually doing a huge, ben- you know, delivering huge benefit to a, to a fleet or that driver because the driver makes money when he or she is driving, not when the vehicle is, uh, you know, sitting in a, in, a, in, a, in a yard or in a service location. Well, completely. Time is money in that situation. And I'm, I'm very interested as well as the data and the sensors collected, not only with DEF and our particulate filters, but how without having that prescriptive stuff, you could end up wasting more time. Because now you're stuck with a region or you choked your truck and it won't start and now it's not going. So that's that's an interesting angle you, you just took because what we're doing in Oregon is we do remote region of these TPF filters so that when if, if at all that, that, that becomes a scenario where the filter requires replacement, you don't have to send the truck to a service location or something. You can get it done in a matter of seconds. Uh, and that's what Noragon is, is is delivering nowadays, and we're working towards. I think that's a game changer because before, when I started at one idling restrictions and other things to try and save the engine, or you get an APU or a unit to keep it running because drivers have TVs, Xboxes, and other things are running. But I had no idea that if you kept idling the truck and you kept running soot through the filter, your truck will have a bad time. And predicting that would save me so much time back in the day. Right, and there are certain states in the U.S. and provinces in Canada where you cannot idle for, for beyond a certain period of time. So there is there is that uh, constraint as well, right? So, And to add to that, to exacerbate the problem further, you have hours of service uh, regulations that mandate you to, to rest for X, X amount of hours. So you need to, when you're driving the truck, it, it, that truck better be 100%. Uh, and, and deliver the uptime that you need. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's, an, it's, 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 it's not a financially lucrative uh, situation. 
Completely. Uh, final final topic here. Looking forward, we've got 22, 22 ahead of us. Uh, let's say I'm starting to understand the mechanics of fleet maintenance or something. What are some of the most important things I need to watch out for? Yeah, so, well, already we discussed the, the supply chain crisis. You know, there's a huge demand for commercial vehicles uh, and the supply is not quite there yet. So, you know, fleets are going to be hamstrung a little bit. Number two is let's not forget the fact that the last two years were primarily being driven, being driven by um, goods component of the GDP, not service component. Now, as we hope that we've put the, the worst of COVID behind us, economies are going to rebound pretty quickly. When that happens, the service component will take over, at which point the goods component might actually shrink, which will have a cascading impact on commercial vehicle uh, industry. So we need to be prepared for that, you know, uh, these merry times that we have enjoyed where the, you know, there's tremendous amounts of demand for commercial vehicle and freight logistics, it might get impacted. And on, at, on top of that, you know, if interest rates rise, uh, that will have an impact on the commercial vehicle in, in market as well and, and the forces that shape that market. So that, those are some of the things that I worry about. Now, there's another thing that, especially in the context of remote diagnostics and prognostics that we're going to talk about, and that is technician shortage. You know, Thomas, you, you've been, you know, focusing on this industry for, for, for a long time and, you know, you've worked at a fleet. You know that driver crisis, driver shortage is, is a huge crisis in the industry. But the fact is not many people know that technician shortage is an even bigger crisis because these trucks are becoming more and more complicated. There's more and more distributed electronics being added to these, these trucks and there are not enough skilled technicians to service these trucks, especially in an era of just-in-time logistics when uptime is of uh, prime importance. So uh, these are some of the, ch the, the challenges the industry is facing. So I, I'd want everybody listening in to also understand and appreciate the technician shortage that is uh, being faced by the industry and, um, you know, collaborate so that we can, we can, we can, we can get, get more technicians to join our industry, more skilled technicians to join this industry and, 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 and deliver benefits. Uh, I think that's a great point. Kind of the, to wrap that point up, I love the fact that the, the lack of technicians affects you immediately. I haven't, so many times I've been to a pilot, a flying J, a TA, you got to get a tire repaired. You need somebody out there. There's no staff. It's hard to find people. And then when you do find people, they said, oh, well, they just upgraded these systems. I'm not familiar or comfortable with these electric systems. I need to send it to the dealership. You go to the dealership. The dealership says we have 40 extra trucks waiting. We can't get to you yet because we're short staffed. And it's a cascading effect to where I talk to a Volvo in Youngstown and they tell me that they have 40 trucks sitting there, no actuators for the windows. And so this is a trickle down thing that you've, you've hit the nail on the head right there is it, we can only do so much, but if we don't have the back end support and the technicians to do it, uh, it it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And, and so there is relief coming to that scene as well, Thomas, in the form of remote diagnostics and, and prognostics and, and, you know, shop tools and, uh, uh, and such that can help uh, a technician be more predictive um, uh, in, 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 in performance, be more, be more product productive as well. Um, and so we can process these service and maintenance requirements faster, reduce dwell time and get the truck where it needs to be on time uh, every time. So that's, that's the mission. That's the, the goal that drives us. And, uh, you know, I think the OEMs, the tier one suppliers, independent repair facilities, um, you know, everybody, warehouse distributors, all stakeholders are aware that, you know, this needs to be solved. So good thing is that there is consensus that this is a problem and that needs uh, to be solved quickly. So we're all working together. Uh, I think that's a great uh, a great note to end on. We got to work together at the end of the day. And uh, I'm super excited, uh, very thankful to have you on as well. And uh, hopefully as we go into 2022, 
uh, we all work a little bit together and communicate more so we can make things a little bit easier on each other. Um, Mr. Mr. Sandeep Carr, thanks again for coming on. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. And uh, we hope, I hope you have a wonderful day and hope everybody else enjoys the rest of the summit. Thank you, Thomas.